Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Everything we do in our morning service is part of our worship time. We receive our offerings, we sing, we read scripture, the sharing together, uh, the prayer time. And this time that we spend in God's word is also part of our worship time as we offer our hearts and our uh, thoughts uh, to God. And so I'd like to ask you just to join me in prayer as we open God's word. Heavenly Father, we pray as we open your word, that as we consider it, that our hearts uh, would be open to you, that we would hear your word. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for the freedom we have to come. We know we have brothers and sisters throughout the world today who do not share that freedom, many in very dangerous situations, uh, to just simply gather and to, to, to understand your word, even own a Bible. And we just thank you that we are free today to come, to open your word, to share it, proclaim it, offer it, the hope of the gospel. And so we pray your Holy Spirit would guide our hearts and our thoughts as we consider your word this morning. Might your words be heard. And we pray this in Christ our Savior's name. Amen. One of the uh, joys of being a pastor, among many, many things, is the opportunity to uh, share in weddings. When I, when I fill out the wedding certificate, it always says officiant. So I guess I'm the official, you know, and I'm, I'm the one who, who, uh, who's the officiant at uh, the wedding. And I have a place to sign civil or religious. And when we share a wedding in our church, uh, of course it's religious, uh, because, not because we're in a church, but because we are sharing a Christian uh, marriage, a Christian wedding. Uh, sometimes I just, my mind just kind of goes back and thinking of all, just looking over the congregation here, all the weddings I've done uh, over the last uh, years uh, and that opportunity to dedicate the babies and the children and then to teach some of the children in confirmation that I uh, did their parents' wedding. Uh, I, I was thinking back one of the earliest weddings I did uh, when I came here as associate, as associate Christian education pastor and Pastor Schutz was gone and I a young couple, and uh, it, was, it, was right, it was right where our weddings take place. It's where I got married. Teresa and I were married, right here in this very spot, right about back here probably. And um, uh, it was kind of a warm day. Uh, well, it was warm when we got married, but the wedding I'm thinking of, it was a warm day. It was one of my first weddings, and I was really nervous, and I was just sweating. You know? <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing, you know. When the, I, they're the ones who are supposed to be nervous, not me, you know. And it was so bad that the bride... Uh, part of her uh, wedding gown, she had a really beautiful silk uh, handkerchief tucked into her sleeve. And finally she took it and offered it to me. <laughs> <laughs> but as we uh, share in weddings and as I officiate uh, weddings and I share, uh, we always share God's word. And a uh, passage that I... Uh, in recent years, I always include, because I include it in our, our premarital counseling, and I include it in the marriage ceremony, I always include um, Ephesians chapter 5. And I'd like you to open your Bibles. And I know we are still in Ephesians chapter 4, but I want to read this passage from chapter 5. It's not the passage you may be thinking of. 
But I want to read this because what we're going to talk about today in chapter 4 is moving toward that. And in order to really appreciate this, we have to, we have to understand the rest of chapter 4. But in chapter 5, in verse 1, I know that, I know that we have verses 22 and following. You probably have something in the Bible. Mine says, the married life of spirit-filled believers is illustrating Christ in the church. Which, of course, uh, a very important part of it is that the, the marriage relationship is a picture of Christ and his church. And, and, and that's very important. But in chapter 5, verse 1, the Apostle Paul shares this. And I share this with couples as they come for their, their counseling. And I share it in the wedding services, whether it's here or any place else, like I did in uh, Arizona for uh, Linnea Caproni this past, uh, the past fall. Wherever the wedding is, verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The reason I feel this, this passage is so important, I think of a, of a young couple starting their marriage off, whether it's young or older, it doesn't matter, as they are beginning their marriage and walking together. If I think of all the instructions in the Bible that are important and that would be helpful to establishing a life that reflects the gospel, reflects what we want, a life that would that would that would lead to a successful and a healthy growing relationship it's also the passage that does the same for us in all of our relationships all of our relationships all of our walk of life if you will and that is simply this i say simply but think about it for a minute be imitators of god can you do that? Can you imitate God? But, but Paul is telling us to do this. This is not a suggestion. It's a command. It's not a good idea. It's a command. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Live a life of love. Can you do that? Can you live every day this week imitating God and living a life of real, true love. And the measure is, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Can you live that type of love in your relationships this week, whether it's with your children, with your parents, with your neighbors, with your co-workers, schoolmates, church family, are you able to live a life of love? Are you able to imitate God? Are you able to do this as Christ did and gave himself up for us? And of course, that is the, that is the key. What, what Paul is saying here is, is that Jesus Christ sacrificed. He gave up. He put the other person first. He put us first. Rather than what was best for him, what was best for us and for the Trinity. And he gave himself up as a sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to God. 
Now I want you to think about that. This is the goal. This is what God wants from you in your relationships, whether it's in your marriage, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your church. What God is asking of you is simply to be like Him. To live a life of love. To be like Christ, who sacrificed and gave up for the other person. Whatever the relationship you're involved in, you think about right now, the relationship that's important to you, that if, if your approach is, I am here to give up and to serve. I'm not here to get. I'm here to give. You can't go wrong. If all parties involved approach it that way. I am here to sacrifice. So with that in mind, we're going to go back to chapter 4. In the next two weeks, we're going to finish chapter 4. Because in order to, in order to practice that, you, you do need to understand how that's possible. Because it could be a very frustrating life as a Christian if you think that I'm going to imitate God, I'm going to be like Christ, and I'm going to try really hard, and I'm going to work really hard at it because I know if, I know I can do this on my own. I know, I know, I know, I know. And, and you don't, you don't, you don't. And it, gets, it can be very frustrating. And I want you to understand how this is possible why Paul can make such a bold uh, statement and command to the church at Ephesus, on what basis? So we go back to chapter 4, and last week we finished up in verse 16, where we talked about the gifts given to the church for building the church up so that everybody in the church can do the work of the ministry. And in verse 17, Paul says this. Now this isn't a happy section. <laughs> this isn't a pleasant section to read and to preach about and talk about. It's kind of discouraging. But in order to get to chapter 5, we have to go through this. I tell you this, Paul says, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles or the other Gentiles, the nations or the, the, you know, the non-believers do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with the continual lust for more. Now this fits in those sections of scripture where where we read about, we've actually already read in chapter 2 about where Paul says, this is how you once were, uh, Gentile uh, Ephesian Christians. In Romans chapter 1 and 2, we have those sections that talk about how the nations, how, how they gave up on God, and God turned them over to their own desires. We, but we go back to the story of the Garden of Eden, where, where, where Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and chose to sin, and sin entered into the world, and how it found its... It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's crisis point in the flood. And God says, I, it, it grieves me. It grieves me that I even made humanity. And, and the Bible tells us, you know, among other things and the sins that took place, that it also, that it said the earth was filled with violence. And much like today, the earth was filled with violence. And it grieved God's heart. And so he, he but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And from that one family, God began again. And we see this story in the Bible unfold. And Paul says here, listen, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. And he says, you must not 
I insist on the Lord. You must not live like this any longer. And he gives this description of people. And the point is, as we think about this even, it's not so much any one particular individual that embodies all this, but that it's, it's culture. It's, it's the big picture. And the big picture is, he paints is, is, pretty, is pretty discouraging. He says they're, they're, they're futile in their thinking. They're futile in their thinking. And he knows the word in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding and they're separated from the life of God. And this is the word in the Greek for darkness. It's cloudy. It's like trying to see. The other day when I got in my car and we got in our car and we're driving and there was that uh, fog on the windows, you know. And it was so foggy, you know, you didn't dare go anywhere until you took the thing out and wiped the window off, even with the defroster going, because it was, it was cloudy. You couldn't see clearly. And that's very dangerous. And Paul says their, their thinking has been clouded. They can't see through the darkness. They can't see through the clouds. And the reason is, and, and they are separated. Not, you know what it says? It doesn't say they are separated from God. They are separated from the life of God. They are separated from, from God's holy, eternal, beautiful life and life-giving spirit. And he says they're, they're clouded. They're darkened. It's, it's dark and they're separate. And Why? It's because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardening of their hearts. And, and that, whether we like it or not, that's exactly what it says. And it's possible that, that as you look at the story, you know, one of the classic cases is Pharaoh. We, we're studying Romans 9 through 11 on Sunday night. Tonight we'll, we'll continue our study in chapter 9. And where Paul talks in that section where he says, I, I raised you up, Pharaoh, for this very purpose, to show my glory and, and there's this question, whose fault was it? Was it Pharaoh's fault or was it God's predetermination that, that Pharaoh was hardened his heart? And the Bible says each, after, each of those, after each of those plagues that Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. The Hebrew word is he strengthened it. He made his heart strong against God. And I'm not going to budge. I'm not going to give. And we see this, this back and forth in the, in, the, in the story in Exodus where Pharaoh hardens his heart. And God hardens his heart. It's this reciprocal thing. And, and, and this idea of making the heart strong. And, and, and Paul says that, that people and culture, they have hardened their hearts. They've made it defiant and strong against God. And the, and the ignorance that they have of God and his life is because of this strength and this, this hardened heart toward the one true God and the message of the gospel. And then he wraps it up in verse 19. And I want you to think of, of what your life would be like without Christ as Savior. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior. And you have to honestly say, I really don't know the life of God. I really don't care about God. I'm really not interested in that. If you, if you hardened your heart against God, would you have a hardened heart if, if you were not redeemed by God's grace and mercy today? And then look what he says here. He, he sort of culminates it. With this, again, this is not so much any particular individual as, as culture. And if you do any historical reading of first century culture, um, you will you will see. I've, I've talked to you before about some of the practices in the in the, in the culture of the first century. And uh, and he says they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. With the continual lust for more, the idea is that it never satisfies. It never satisfies. You know the old story of the frog in the kettle. 
you know, it's just, it, it, you never realize it. It never satisfies. And we all can relate to this. We all know this, that when, when we fall into traps of, of sin or habitual sin or of habits, that we keep doing the same thing over again, and, and it, it never satisfies. You never get to a point where, you, where it's like, okay, I, I've experienced that, I've done, you know. It's a continual, it leads you to want more. That's what sin does. Remember, sin is deceitfulness. In the, in the Bible, the, the practice of sin, it, it's not, it's not a, a temptation to, oh boy, I'm going to make you suffer and it's going to be really hard and I'm going to ruin your life. No, isn't, why does God not want you to eat of that fruit? Well, doesn't he know that in the day you eat of it, you'll be like him? I mean, it's, 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 it's a temptation to, uh, to, to good. And, and Paul says, listen, what's happened is, and, and, I, and I was reading this passage, and I was thinking about our culture today that, that we, are, we live in. And he says they've given themselves over to sensuality. I think of all the words in this passage that would, would hallmark our culture today. I mean, I think of what our, uh, you know, the, the, what's our young people, what they have today and what they, what they live with day in, day out, day in, day out, and how that's changed this, this, this just barrage. Whether it's, whether it's on a billboard driving down 99 to our house, whether it's on the commercials, whether it's the pictures that flash under on, on your, on your computer screen when you're, when you're trying to read a story, maybe a sports story about the Mariners and down the corner, it's just all over the place, just bombarded with sensuality. I mean, it's just a barrage. This is our culture today. And, and, and Paul says, this is, this is, Paul says, listen, I don't want you to live like that anymore. I don't want you to be like this. And this, this is what's happened. And here, so here's the solution. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. How is that possible? Verse 20, Ephesians, you, however, you did not come to know Christ that way. This is not the gospel. This is not what we as Christians, this is not the message of the Bible. Surely, surely, and, and, and I want you to, uh, here's, here's the key. I want to tell you this right now. When we get to chat, how are you going to be imitators of God? How are you going to live a life of love? How are you going to be like Jesus Christ who gave himself up? How could you possibly do that? Is that just an empty rhetoric? Or is there actually a possibility that this is the way we could live? It's a command. Paul isn't, isn't known for giving commands that God doesn't enable us to keep. That's the wonderful thing about the Christian message. Whatever commands God gives us, he enables us and gives us the ability to keep them. And so he says here, you, you did not come to, I want you to notice this word, know. You did not come to learn. You did not come to know Christ that way. So the first thing that we want to remember is our relationship with Jesus Christ is one of a personal understanding and personal knowledge. Yes, we talk of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You did not come to know Christ. In the, in the Bible, the word know has, has the idea of relationships. In the King James language, when the Bible says Adam knew his wife and she bore and conceived, that's not just a delicate way of talking about sex. The, the Old Testament word there means, under, it means relationship. That's why the King James uses the word know. The Bible word for know means, it, it, it implies a, a relationship. 
And Paul says, you did not come to this relationship with Christ to know him that way. Surely, Paul says in verse 21, you heard of him and were taught. And here's, I want you to notice this. You were taught in him. In order to be imitators of God as dearly loved children, you have to be part of the family. And the only way you become part of the family is through Jesus Christ. And in, the, in these, especially these prison epistles of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, this phrase and this thought of being in Christ, that I am identified with Christ. When I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and acknowledge my need for salvation and respond to the gospel presentation that was given to me, back then it was on a flannel graph board, um, and I accepted Christ. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't go forward. I just sat there at the chapel at Camp Gilead in third grade and watched that flannel graph and listened to Wynn Johnson give that message. And, I, and the Holy Spirit opened my heart. And, I, and, and it wasn't because I was any smarter or anybody, better than anybody else. It was by the grace of God. And I received Christ as my Savior. And when the moment I did that, the Bible tells us I was placed in Him. I was identified with Him. If I'm a member of this Brian Bible Church, I am identified with this church. As a citizen of the United States, I am identified with the corporate body of the United States of America. If you're an employee of an organization that, that you've contracted with and you work with, you are identified with that organization. If your last name is Shamaria and you're in my family, you're identified with my family. Of course, this is Teresa now. <laughs> the rest changed their names. But they're still part of my family. They're, the Fulfords are in my family. They're identified. We are, we are corporate. And Paul says, when you become a Christian, Paul says, so, so first of all, the first thing to remember is, how is it possible you could be an imitator of God? Because you are a child of God. Because you are in Christ. If you think you can do it by working hard, by being religious, by checking off the list without being in Christ, it is not going to happen. Certainly, you did not come that way. You heard of him. You were taught in him. In him. Verse 21, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So friends, the key to being able to live a life of imitation, of sacrifice, and of love is to be in Christ. To know Him. How do you, how do you know Him better? How, how is it possible that as the days go by, the weeks go by, the months go by, the years go by, how do you know Christ better? How is it possible that husband and wife, after years, after decades, uh, you know, you, you can begin to, you, you, you know what the person's gonna do. You, you can think the same. You, you're not surprised by responses and reactions because you spend time together. You know each other. As we spend time in God's Word, as we spend time with God's family, as we spend time in prayer, we know Him even deeper and deeper and deeper. And Paul says it's because of that that we can be imitators of God. You were taught, verse 22, you were taught, Ephesians, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 
When I preached this sermon on Colossians some years ago, I did a little stunt. As some of you remember, so I don't want to repeat it because you'd say, oh, that's old stuff. Where I put on different jackets from my life. Do you remember that? Some of you, I don't know why you remember things like that. <laughs> you know? And uh, I, I just happened to have a collection of jackets going back to when my mom gave me a jacket in, uh, when I graduated. And I, and, I put the, and I put the coats on and I put the coats off. And I'm not going to repeat that and do that again because it comes from the same passage in Colossians. And the idea that we were talking about, and uh, I want to remind you today as I'm putting on my coat, that that's exactly the language Paul uses here. The language he uses is to, to take off and to put on. Now, what could be a little confusing about that is it sounds very work-related. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work hard to take off my old self and to put on my new self. Now, if you go to Colossians chapter 3, if you just go over a few, few verses, the section in your Bible. In, in Colossians chapter 3, Ephesians and Colossians are so similar they're so similar. And look, what he, look how he puts it here. Let the peace of verse 15, sorry, Colossians 3:15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace. And, and he talks and he talks in here about the about the uh, how we are to. We're going to see this in Ephesians as well, to, to live by, 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 the, by sharing with one another and, and, and to, to sing and to make music in our hearts and to do all the things that, that God has called us to do. But before we get there in verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. And we see the same thought here that we, have, that we clothe ourselves and we have, and that, that we take off and we take on and we put on. And you'll see this throughout this passage in Colossians to take off and to put on. You'll see the, the same thoughts. Clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves. And we go back to Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to suggest to you that the, the, the best, probably the best understanding of this is to read it like this. Verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. That you have put off. He's referring to our salvation. When I was saved, when I was saved in third grade, I put off the old. It was taken off. I didn't do it. God did it. I was, my part of it was I received it. I believed it. I, and I put off the old. And the tense of the Greek, the tense of the Greek verbs here implies this idea of this action that took place with ongoing effects that I, I took off. And then he goes after, and he says this in verse 22. And then he says, 23, be made new in the attitude of your minds. In verse 24, that I have put on the old, the new, I have put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. To put on, and I have put on. So what Paul is saying here, and I want you, there's one really important word here. There's several important words, but would you look at verse 24? I want you to notice this word. To put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Created. You notice when he talks about the old self, it doesn't say God created that or that, that I was created with the old self. I was born with the old self. Created goes back to what? 
What does the word created kind of throw you back to in the Bible? What part of the Bible? Genesis 1. In the beginning, God, what? Created the heavens and the earth. And when it came to the story of humanity, we do not believe in, in evolution. We, we do not believe that life came from no life. We, we believe that, as the Bible says, God created Adam. And he created him without sin. And he created Eve as well. And Adam and Eve were created by God. And when we come to this passage here, Paul says that, that, that to take off our old self, but to put on the new self that has been created by God. We don't create it. We put it on at conversion, at salvation, but it was created. It has been created by God. Now I want, you, I want you to understand what we teach about this. And we study this in Romans on Sunday night. For we, we read and look at, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You go back a few chapters in your Bible. You're in Ephesians. Go back to Galatians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, many of you know this verse so well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? Creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God. So we do not teach that in the putting off and the putting on, it is simply a matter of our decision that we are now going to be like Christ. It is an ability given to us because God has created the new self. Now look at me. I am a new creation. We do not teach I am half old and half new. I am not half old man and half new man. I am a new creation. This new creation that God has created is still in the flesh and is still in the sinful world. And the Bible says there is something about the flesh. There is something about the, the sinful tarnishment of flesh that still affects us. And that's the whole point of the resurrection. The whole point of the resurrection is this corruptible will put on incorruption. This, this thing that can perish will put on imperishability. And it will be changed. And we will no longer have any, any connection or any influence of, the, of this corrupted flesh or of the sinful world we live in. But I am a new creation and you are a new creation. And Paul says you have put off the old man and you have put on the new humanity, the new person. You are a new man, a new woman in Jesus Christ. Because of what God has done for you. Because of that, we are, look at what it says here. We have been, uh, we, we have the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now I want you to stop there for a minute. Is that possible? Is that possible? Do you right now feel like you are righteous and holy like God? You don't have to answer that question. If I ask myself, do I feel like I am righteous and holy this next week, every day, every hour, every minute? And I come here next Sunday and says, yep, I felt every second I was righteous and holy like God. I have to tell you, in my flesh and in my limitations, I would probably say no. In fact, I would say no. But the Bible tells us. We are in Christ Jesus. And when God looks at me, when God sees me, 
because of the cross of Calvary, he sees me in Christ. And he sees me as one of his holy and righteous ones because of Christ's righteousness. Because I am in Christ, because you are in Christ, because you are a new creature, a new creation, all things have become new. The old has passed away. It's because of what God has done to you and what God has done through Jesus Christ that it is possible that you could live your life, chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Yes, it is possible. Yes, it is what should be. Because God has enabled us by making us new creations and giving us his Holy Spirit to allow us to do that. So next week we're going to look at this interesting. From this point on, we're going to have a whole bunch of imperatives. You know what an imperative is? What is it? What's another word for it? It's a command. It's a command. So lest you think that what Paul is saying is, well, okay, you're saved, you're a new creation, so do what you want and, all, and, and it won't matter because your life... No. What Paul says is because of what he has done for you, it's because of the power of the Holy Spirit, it's because you are a new creation, God then gives you the ability to do these things. Let's look at the first one. That's all we'll look at this morning. Here's a command. Therefore, because of this... Each of you must put off falsehood. Well, he already told me I've put off the old man and put on the new man. But then he says, but you must put off falsehood and instead speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. Speaking of the church, the body of Christ. Paul says, listen, Pastor Jim, when you interact with people this week, when you're in the office with those you work with, when you're out throughout the week with the people in this body, you speak truth to them. And if you are tempted to lie or to tell a half-truth, don't do that. Take it off. And take off, if, I, if I'm tempted to, 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 to tell Pastor Gary or Kevin or Susie or Daryl or Julie, that we're in the office, if I'm, if I'm tempted to, just to, to, make it, to say something that's not truthful, Paul says, take it off. But instead, put on the truth and speak the truth. Take off. And put on. Now, how is that? If I've already put on the new man, if I am already in Christ, righteous and holy, how is that possible? The illustration from Romans is simply this. If I were an indentured servant, you remember what that was from your story, your history lessons? If I was an indentured servant in the first century, which means I was sold into servanthood or slavery to, a, to, a, to an owner, to a master. And I have to do what they tell me to do. I have no choice. That is my lot in life. That is who I am. But if one day that master says, Jim, you're free. You are a free man. You are no longer have to serve me. You are no longer indentured to me. You are no longer my servant. You, you are a free man. Now go out and live like a free man. And each day as I'm faced with my decisions... I could say, you know what, I'm a free man, but you know what, I still feel like a servant. I'm back here, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do this. And he says, no, you're a free man. If I come back and serve this master, it doesn't change the fact I'm a free man.
But I am choosing to live as if I am a servant. And what Paul is saying is we are new. We are free from the bondage of sin. We are no longer obligated to live this description that I've just read here. We are no longer obligated to that. We don't have to live that way. We are free to tell the truth and to not tell lies. If I choose to go back and tell lies like I'm still enslaved to sin, I can do that. But it doesn't change the fact that I'm free. So what Paul is saying is every day, get up, dress yourself like who you are. Some of you have uniforms you wear to work. Your job requires you to wear a uniform or something you have to wear. Uh, when you get on an airplane, you know, you can tell the pilot, right? Because he's got a uniform on. He gets up, he dresses, and he, and he goes to work that way. Paul, so we can look at it this way. Get up each day and put on what we are in reality. And because of that, Paul says, yes, it is possible to be imitators of God. I'll encourage you today, friends, in your relationships, whatever you are today, in your relationship today, are you willing, are you willing to put on and dress like what you are called to be? Are you willing to sacrifice Are you honestly willing in your marriage? Are you honestly willing to put the other person first? Is Teresa more important than me in our marriage? I don't always act like that. I'll be the first to admit it. But I have the power to do that because I'm a child of God. And I have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit prompts me when I treat people badly to remind me that is not how I should treat people. And if I can't treat the people I'm closest to, if I can't treat people in my own family, my wife, my children, my grandchildren, the people closest to me, if I can't treat you, the church family I'm in, you know, it's easy to do it for the world. That's a lot easier to do it for the world. But it's not so easy to do it to the person sitting next to you. But that's what God tells you to do. God tells you to do it. God allows you to do it. God enables you to do it. And you know what? If it's not reciprocated, that is not an excuse to say, well, I tried and it didn't work. I'm sure glad Jesus Christ didn't sacrifice on that basis. His sacrifice was not based on whether everybody's going to respond or not. It was based on the fact he chose to love us and to give himself as a sacrifice to God that we might share in his life and in his love. I want to encourage you, friends, as we look at the rest of these in the next several weeks, we are in the point in Ephesians that are very, very practical where we live day in and day out. And I want to encourage you today. You don't have, I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm not asking you to do anything God hasn't enabled you to do. I'm just simply telling you, this is what the Bible says. And when I stand here with a, with a couple, and, when I, and, I, and I read this scripture and, and, and get them off and, to a start in a marriage... I I believe that. I honestly believe that. That it is possible to be imitators of God. To live a life of love. 
to sacrifice, to put the other person first, whether it's your spouse, your child, your parents, your friend, person in the youth group with you, are you willing to put them first? Is it about what you give or what you get? It's possible because we are in Christ Jesus. Amen? We are in Christ Jesus and we are his children and we can live as imitators of God. I hope when we sing these songs that the, the words, you mean them, they're not just in our head, but they're in our heart. We come to church to be refreshed, to rejoice, to celebrate, to share. And I hope that's the case today, that this has been good for you to be here. And you go home and you leave this place refreshed. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you can receive forgiveness for sins and eternal life because God loves you so much. He loves you so much that Jesus Christ, God himself, the fully man, died on the cross and paid for your sin. And you can receive his forgiveness for sins by asking him and acknowledging to him your need for forgiveness. For those of us who are believers here today, which I know most, most of us are, uh, coming to church is also time sometimes to search a little bit, to search our soul a little bit. And I want you to close your eyes and as we bow in prayer to leave this place today. Uh, and, and I don't ask you to do anything I don't do. When I ask you to do these things, I, I, am, I am doing them first. And I want you to believe that. And we have just sung, I surrender all to you. And I would like, I would like each of you to, to do a little soul searching today before God. God knows. And if in your heart, if you're not willing, if you're not willing to live Ephesians 5, 1, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and sacrificed himself to God as a fragrant offering. If you are not willing, I don't say feel, willing to sacrifice to love and to imitate God with someone close to you. It may be the person closest to you. There's someone in your life that you're just not willing to do that with or for. But I want you to at least be honest. At least tell God that. At least tell him that. God, I'm not willing to do it for that person. Because I don't believe this is possible. So I don't believe it's important. Or I'd like you today to tell God, I don't feel like it. I don't think it's going to be easy. But it appears from what I'm seeing here in your holy word that you want me to do this and you will enable me to do this and you will bring joy and glory according to your plan and your will from doing this, then I think you should tell God that too. If you choose to do either, neither one of them, that, that's between you and God. But I think it's a good day to take God at His Word and be honest with Him 
and to step forward in faith and in courage and to be an imitator of God as a dearly loved child and to live a life of love and to put the other person first. It is the best way to live. And God will honor you for that. I got a, we got a friend here right in the front row, Harold Christensen, before the service. He just celebrated the celebration last week of his, his wife's life. Several of you were there. As he talked about 60 years of marriage and, and just started to break down. That's okay because it's a hard day to, to, to come and, and, and to just remember that. I want to tell you something. If you don't think it's worth loving your spouse, loving that person, you come and talk to me and I'll, Harold and I will talk to you. Someone else here will talk to you. It's worth it. Give it to God.